Ah, hello there, Starfleet fans, and welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, apologies, it's been something of a prolonged absence that we've been away from you uh, for. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with our kind of social medias and the videos we've been putting out, we didn't plan for this to be as long of an absence. We have had various plans, but as is often the case, we make plans and God laughs. Um, so we've had some slight issues. We did have, uh, I've explained this in another video, but we had somebody that was going to come on board and help us with sort of editing and things behind the scenes who hasn't been able to. And my usual co-host DK unfortunately couldn't join us today. He's still struggling with various personal issues and health concerns and such. So he's not feeling too well, but uh, we wish him all the best and we hope to have him back soon. Uh, so I am your regular host, Mike Wilson. Uh, I will be the only host for this episode, but don't fear, it's not just me. I am joined by a guest. Uh, I've announced it already, but uh, I am joined by special guest, Jordan. Welcome, Jordan. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. And uh, you're, you're known on social media as Jordan LaForden, which I just want to believe is your actual surname. <laughs> it, it is not. Um, oh. I can give you some background on that one if you'd like. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so growing up, my nickname was Jordy, completely separate from Star Trek TNG. Right. Um, that's what my dad called me. That's what my um, my softball team, you know, when I was six years old, um, what they all called me. And I eventually grew out of that and just became Jordan, but have always loved Star Trek. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about my love, my lifelong love for Star Trek soon. But um, having always loved Star Trek, when I finally decided to join Trek social media, whether that was Twitter or Mastodon or Instagram, you know, looking for some sort of handle. I was like, you know, I used to be called Jordy. I love Jordy LaForge. Can I somehow combine, you know, my name Jordan with that? So a lot of people don't see a connection with Jordy LaForge, but that's what it's supposed to be. No, I didn't put that together at all, but I, I love that now that I know that actually. That's really cool. Well, awesome. I thought I thought Jordan LaForge would be it just, I don't know. I liked the rhyme better. So, um, hmm. yeah, it's kind of an homage to my nickname growing up, kind of an homage to Jordy LaForge. Awesome. You should have yeah. put a visor over your little, um, what do you call it, little sort of wee me type thing. That you you know, that's actually that's a great <laughs> idea. I should do that. <laughs> and we'll get the hint maybe. But no. Yes. <laughs> awesome. No, uh, we did talk. Uh, we, we kind of both... Um, exiled ourselves from Twitter around the same time and started talking on Mastodon and you were mm -hmm. really nice and just chatting back and forth about Star Trek um, and I asked you if you wanted to come on the show because I love how positive all of your kind of love for Star Trek is particularly a lot of the new Trek stuff which you don't always see and I was like okay I definitely have to have this voice on the podcast at some point. Yeah thank you I really appreciated you reaching out and asking I'm always excited to talk about Trek at any yeah. time so Awesome. Yeah, I did have a quick glance at your uh, Mastodon page and saw what you'd listed that you're re-watching, and it's three different Star Trek shows at the moment. Yeah, well, part of that, and I, I'll probably bring this up later too, um, my husband just became a Trekkie like a year ago. <laughs> um, he'd seen Trek here and there with me. We uh, um, we watched TNG together. I was re-watching. He was watching for the first time through the first couple years of the pandemic. And then last April, after we finished TNG, he um, kind of accidentally agreed to watch DS9 with me and he was hooked by episode one. So we blazed through DS9 and now we're and now he's like, well, we have to watch Voyager. And so 
the Trek that I was already re-watching for myself, I just, I was like, I don't want to stop that. <laughs> so I've added, whenever we're home together, we watch whatever he's watching for the first time and I'm re-watching. And then when he's at work in the evening or the weekend, sometimes I will watch. That's when I'll watch Enterprise or Discovery or Picard. So, yeah. Awesome. That's cool. I, I always like to hear that somebody has been assimilated into the... Uh, the... <laughs> It kind of it kind of feels like, the, and it really was. It wasn't even the first episode of Deep Space Nine. It was, I think, episode thirteen of season one. It's the one where Kaiopaka dies. Well, she dies, right. and then is on that planet and comes back alive and has to stay on the planet um, with that guy from Breaking Bad. Um, and and yeah. it was. I mean, that's not a you know notable first, you know, a notable episode of Deep Space Nine. But mm. he saw it and was like all right, I'm in where I'm going to rewatch the whole thing. And you know, he like went back and rewatched the first 12 episodes and nice. we, yeah, we just flew through deep space nine. Um, and he's still, I mean, he's, he's a Trekkie now through and through. So yes. Awesome. Big yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I nice. finally, after 10 years, I finally got him. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, <laughs> persistence paid off, I guess. Yes, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Sweet. That's really good. But uh, yeah, I should have said up top, by the way, this uh, episode, we will be doing all the usual stuff. Uh, I will be sort of uh, asking Jordan a little bit about her history with Star Trek, uh, and then we'll do a little hit or miss section. But then we will be reviewing the Star Trek Picard episode, Assimilation, which is, I believe, episode three of season two of Picard, um, partly because it was an episode we were going to do during our time travel series, which finished toward the end of last year. So it's kind of a holdover from that. Um, and partly, which became unfortunate, that it's kind of a tribute to uh, the late Annie Wershing, who mm. we were always going to record the episode, but it, feels like, it felt like I should probably dedicate it to her because she's quite great in it and quite an mm -hmm. important part. So again, if you haven't watched my sort of tribute video, um, I'll link it below. Do go watch it and uh, RIP to Annie. She was great in this season. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Jordan, without any further ado, are you ready to get uh, slightly grilled? Uh, don't worry, it won't be. I won't be asking you how many lights you see or anything. But uh, <laughs> are you ready to talk Trek? I am absolutely ready. Let's do this. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, as I say, this is just a, a little getting to know you thing that I do with every guest. But I do label all of these sections if you're new to the podcast in a little geeky Star Trek way. So this section I like to call "Hailing Frequencies Open." Hailing frequencies open, sir. So. Jordan, um, thanks again for agreeing to come on the podcast. The first question, you've kind of answered for your husband already, but not for yourself. <laughs> and it was basically, do you remember what it was that got you into Star Trek? What your kind of first experience was or the first episode or movie that grabbed you uh, and made you think, oh, I definitely want to watch this and and then make it our lives as we do as Trek. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have... My first, well, okay, I should preface this with saying I don't ever remember a time when I didn't know what Star Trek was. Mm. My dad and my brother, uh, my older brother, he's about seven years older than I am. They both uh, watched and liked Star Trek, um, particularly the, the next generation. I was born in 1990, and so that was, you know, the next, gen the next generation was already on when I was born, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, but my dad really liked the original series as well. My brother, not so much. Um, so I remember having seen those episodes, you know, when I was three, four, five years old, I don't remember specifics, but when Voyager aired, um, my brother got very into Voyager and I remember 
I, I don't remember the night of the week and I've asked him and I, he doesn't remember either, but there was a while, I think probably around season four or five of Voyager, maybe earlier even where Voyager and Buffy the Vampire Slayer aired back to back. Nice. <laughs> I don't remember what night of the week it was, but, and I was, oh, I was too young for either one of those shows. Um, <laughs> but my, my brother, seven years older than me, he would stay up late and watch those. And I would, I got permission from my parents, um, being the youngest of three, that was pretty easy. Got permission from my parents to stay up with him. And I desperately tried to stay awake. I remember during commercial breaks, I'd run to the bathroom and I had this washcloth. I would get it ice cold with water so that I could hold it to my face to try to stay awake for Voyager. And it never succeeded. I never saw an entire episode. I'd always fall asleep on, um, you know, the floor of our TV room um, and wake up, you know, with all the lights off and my brother had gone to bed and put a blanket over me. And um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, that was my, that's my first memory of Star Trek. But I, I always say that. I became a Trekkie when Enterprise premiered in 2001. Right. Um, there was so much hype around it. I was so excited. I'd seen some of the movies, but up until that point, it felt like it felt like I was kind of a tag along Trekkie, like I was doing this thing with my oh. brother, and I enjoyed it. Um, but Star Trek Enterprise was the first Star Trek that felt like mine. Um, I yeah. And so that, I feel like that was the moment that I became a Trekkie where I was like, I am gonna, I'm gonna know everything about this show and <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it every single week. And, mm. um, I, I mean, I was 11 years old, but from the get go, I loved the faith of the heart intro. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, and I, I feel like that's a question I always get when I bring up Enterprise. Um, and that was a big deal because that I feel like that was the first time there had been moments before that where and if my brother ever listens to this, he's probably going to be like, I wasn't like this. But I felt like everything that I tried to like about Star Trek, he was like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Like Deanna Troy. Oh, that's you, a shame. Deanna Troy shouldn't be your favorite character or like Tom Paris. <sighs> Tom Paris shouldn't, you shouldn't have a crush on Tom Paris. And I was like, okay, I won't because, you know. Both of those things are fine. I'm, I'm, I take issue with your brother on this. Well, one. I mean, he was, he was what, a 16 year old boy. I mean, <laughs> I he, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't, um, he wasn't fully matured and fully developed uh, intellectually, we'll say. Um, and so looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, that was ridiculous. But I remember he was so, he hated the intro to Enterprise. You know, we're watching um, watching the, the premiere together and he was just like, what is this? And I was like, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> so that, <laughs> I feel like that, yeah, that was the first time where I really like made watching Star Trek like my own and had my own, because I was only 11, right? <laughs> um, mm. Had my own opinions and like stuck with my own opinions against my, at that point, 18 year old brother. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, yeah, right. Enterprise made me a Trekkie and then- um, well. Yeah. You were always a Trekkie. You don't have to have watched everything to <laughs> no. be. We, we don't no. like the gatekeeping nature. Oh, not no. I'm, in, Absolutely. I'm not insinuating your brother was. I'm getting the feeling it was probably more of a sibling uh, sort of oh, yes. teasing yeah. situation He's going on. Definitely, definitely not a, he was definitely not a gatekeeper. It was more just like, I and my brother's very much like, well, I don't like Tom Paris. So my little, I'm trying to protect my little sister from. Uh, yes. she, she doesn't she doesn't realize how immature he is or how you know whatever I feel like it was kind of that um, I see. Yeah. and yeah my brother's 
bless his heart, my brother's opinions are always correct. So that's at least he, at least at least he at least he thinks that. Um, yeah, so, well, all yeah. all brothers and sisters do believe me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I yeah I am so grateful to him for introducing me to Star Trek and cool. fostering my love for Star Trek. Even you know even though he didn't love Enterprise as much as I did. Yeah, um, that's the, the weird thing. We've had a few guests on who really don't like Enterprise, but I will say that we've we've made it clear, myself and DK, who's normally here hosting with me, both love Enterprise and we both like the theme as well. So yeah, yeah. I will I will say I prefer season one and two's theme to season three and four. Yeah, um, everybody does I, that <laughs> sort of that weird rock beat they added to it to try yeah. and make it. It's just weird. Yeah, I, I mean, I do still like it, but yeah, um, that's same. Yeah. I prefer one and two. I yeah, and I. You probably saw this on Mastodon. I am rewatching Enterprise right now, very slowly, as I, mm. you know, I'm also watching Voyager with my husband and um, Discovery and Picard on my own. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm almost done with season two, and I'm really excited to get to season three. Um, mm. I haven't seen it, you know, in order in its entirety since it first premiered. Um, yeah. So, oh, I'm wow. excited to watch that as an adult. Um, it starts it to play really well as one long thing because you know how like the, the newest track is way more serialized and mm -hmm. kind of I guess made for binging in a sense even though it doesn't drop all at once it's week to week but the last time I watched season three of Enterprise it starts off like your traditional okay there's indie things in the background and we're doing episodes that stand alone but as it gets into it it really picks up steam and works fantastically as a long kind of you're not going to want to turn off each episode you want to kind of keep going yeah and I I'm curious, yeah, what that will be yeah. like for me because I feel like the season finale of season two of Enterprise was that that really affected me as a mm. you know maybe twelve year old or thirteen year old. I don't remember when <laughs> this you know the seasons aired when my birthday was. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that really that really really affected me, and um, you know I didn't rewatch it for a long time. Um, mm. But I, that that moment stayed with me, and then season yeah. three as well really affected me. And that was, you know, some of the darkest stuff that I I'd watched oh, yeah. up to that yeah. point in my life. Um, I was also a big Dragon Ball Z fan, but like they got kind of dark, but not really. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I watched Buffy and stuff with my brother. But yeah, that oh, was yes. that, that was very. Um, yeah, I don't want to say it was formative because I I can't say you know this is how enterprise affected me as an adult. But if I, I think if I thought about it enough, um, I could probably make some be. connections. Yeah. I, I would say it's it's great that you're an extended family of Trekkies and also fellow Buffy fans. And I would say there's definitely <laughs> some, there's definitely some stuff in Buffy and Angel that were formative for me, even <laughs> though I was at that point way older than you, because I'm like eight years older than you. So I was like a teenager watching them, <laughs> but there were still some things that were like, wow, I didn't know TV could affect you in this way. And it's dealing with some deep things. And yeah, Enterprise was one of those things where I don't recall why I wasn't as affected by it. I think it was because I was kind of like, I was aware that it was trying to reflect real world mm -hmm. stuff. And I think I just kind of slightly resented that because I wanted it to be like Birth of the Federation series and everything. And was yeah. like, oh, no. <laughs> but then I got hooked as soon as it kind of actually started and I watched it. So, yeah. <clears throat> Awesome. Um, so then leaping to the to, ahead by a couple of questions, because it seems logical. Would you say that <laughs> Enterprise is your favorite of all of the Star Trek series or not? It is not. I know I just spent minutes and minutes praising Enterprise, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm very torn. It's either Voyager or Discovery. 
Okay. And um, I think those two are very similar. So that makes sense to me. Um, and I, yeah, I'm not, it's so hard because Voyager has a lot of the nostalgia factor for me mm. because it was, you know, my first Star Trek memories and it was the first Star Trek that I rewatched in its entirety um, right. in college. I got okay. Netflix and um, binge watch Voyager and loved it um, more than I thought I could. <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, there's, there's, it's hard to divorce the nostalgia factor from it, but I would say it's either Voyager or Discovery. I am a huge, anyone who follows me on any social media knows yep. that I am a huge <laughs> Discovery fan. I could talk about Discovery all day, every day. Um, yeah. Desperately waiting yeah. for season five. So um, it's one or it's, I would, I'm probably going to have to say Voyager but I feel like if you give me four or five years of mm. adding more nostalgia to Discovery for me personally, then it maybe it'll maybe it'll pass. Voyager yeah, that I, way. I already find that I'm forgiving a lot of things that I really didn't like about the first season of Discovery. Now that we're sort of divorced mm. from it and further and further away, because mm -hmm. I really didn't like it at all at the time, and now I'm kind of like, you know, there's lots of things in there that I can appreciate now. So yeah, yeah. I mean, not to. Uh, pun intended, but there's lots of hits and misses in Discovery yeah. season one. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is true for um true for true for every Star Trek. So Oh completely. And the early seasons of most of them are where it's kind of ropey and finding its feet. But mm -hmm. I, I was hooked on Discovery season two. So that was the one that got me to absolutely love the show. It's one of my top sort of five, I think, seasons of the franchise. Mm -hmm. Season two of Discovery. I, I just love it. With good <laughs> so, yeah. reason. It's a phenomenal um, season. Yeah, definitely. Um, awesome. So then, uh, th this is a big question, which uh, I haven't prepped you for in advance, so apologies. Uh, but if you had to pick three episodes or movies to show someone that you think represents the best of sort of the Trek franchise to maybe try and get them hooked in, what would you pick? <laughs> oh, um, so this is someone who's never seen any Star Trek? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of an open-ended question, but yeah, that, that's kind of how, it's however you interpret it, but if that's how you want to sort of, you, you know, how would you hook somebody into Trek? Because it's kind of unlikely that nobody would, that anybody, sorry, would have seen nothing at all. Like most right. people on the street would know Beam Me Up, Scotty and Mr. Spock. Yeah, and stuff, yeah. Yep. Um, oh goodness, that's a great question. Um, and I've, I've seen people, back when I was on Trek Twitter, I've seen people ask a similar question and my thoughts are always all over the place about this, but mm. I'm going to say um, the, and I'm maybe, sorry if I, if you get a lot of hate mail for this answer, um, I'm going to okay. say the J.J. Abrams film, the first okay, one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I think that would be, for someone who hasn't been watching Star Trek, um diving into something like TNG or the original series or um, most of the series actually, I think yeah. would be a, there's, it's a big learning curve. Um, yeah. And so I think that the first JJ Abrams, well, all the JJ Abrams movies are a lot more accessible to someone who's mm. not familiar with Star Trek to maybe get them familiar with Star Trek. And then, then they can, <laughs> they yeah. can go. Mm -hmm. at, yeah. You're not the only one that said that it's completely, it makes sense as a starting point for sure, because it kind okay, of is, good. it's a, it's a restart. And um, yeah. I, I was never sure if it would perhaps be a little bit intimidating that it has the history of, 
I guess, the prime timeline and all that and features. But as I just said, everybody knows who Spock is. So that's yeah, the one character exactly. that you can basically be like, they'll know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so that would be my first answer. Um, oh, goodness. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to go with the Vulcan Hello. From Discovery's premiere, from, yeah. Yes, um, because again, I think it does, it does inter introduce the world well, mm. and I think it's, yeah, a lot of a lot of modern viewers aren't going to sit through a lot of the other premieres well. Mm. Um, so if I had to choose a premiere, though, okay. Ooh, now I kind of want to walk that back. <laughs> Cause <laughs> okay, I mean, right. I, well, because I, so, okay, as far as premieres go, I would either say Broken Bow or Woken Hello. I, I would like to, I'd like to just chime in and say Emissary works incredibly better than I thought it would after we rewatched it. Well. <laughs> yeah, that one's so, oh, that one's so hard though, because you have the whole like, Battle at Wolf three five nine situation, True. which which they explain in a very like Star Warsy like here's yeah. the text on the screen. Um, okay, I'm gonna say yeah, I'm gonna change my answer from the Vulcan Hello to Broken Bow, which I okay. can't believe I can't believe I'm doing, but I'm doing it. Um, That's then, fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, and you said three, right? I have to choose three. Yes, I mean you don't have to, but yes, please. <laughs> as, Mike, as a rule follower, I have to choose three. Um, <laughs> Okay. Um, I should have specified, by the way, if you want to call like a two-part of one thing, that's fine. <laughs> oh, that's helpful. Um, okay. And then I kind of just want to throw in like a wild card. Hmm, so maybe I feel like I need TNG in there. Like, I feel like that would be something that would be smart. But I just don't know what episode. Hmm. Um, See, I, I always leap to um, the first one that I remember watching and connecting with, which is Disaster, because I think that works on its own without anything, any baggage, and yet it introduces the characters really well. Yeah, because I, well, I thought about cause and effect. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, because, yeah, I mean, but most of the episodes can stand alone mm. or... Maybe Measure of a Man. I was just going to say Measure of a Man, <laughs> bring all those things. If Depending on the oh, person, if they're like I, heavy. Right. It depends on the person. If I want them to like, <laughs> if I know that, you know, if they cry at an episode, they're going to be hooked. Then yeah, Offspring for sure. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I might go with Cause and Effect just because cool. I think that really captures um, like the essence of Star Trek. And... Yeah, that's going to get all the sci-fi fans or those with an interest in that kind of thing hooked for sure. Right. And I mean, Beverly is such a wonderful character as well. So are you thinking of a different episode? Oh, am I thinking of a different episode? <laughs> are you thinking of Remember Me? <laughs> what it? No, what is the episode? Well, OK, no, I'm thinking of cause and effect because that's where they like remember playing poker, right? Yes, and uh, they implant the number three in the suggestion yes, of, yes. Uh, of data okay. to. I know. I I do think Beverly is a great character in that episode in particular. And it's so, been so long since I saw it. I can't remember. I'm so, I, I really apologize. I can't remember her playing no, a huge part in that. No, I mean, she, I don't think it's a huge part, but I think I think that she's kind of one of the first ones to to realize that they're do. Maybe, maybe I'm misremembering, but I think she's one of the first ones to remember or to realize that they're that, in a loop, yeah. that they're in a loop. I think. 
Now, okay, this just means we have to go rewatch it, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can't remember it. Um, it was almost on the list to do as part of the time travel series. I don't know why we didn't get to it, but yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I'm going to stick with cause and effect, even if I'm misremembering some details of it. But what is the episode? This is completely separate. What is the episode <laughs> where she says, um, if some if nothing if nothing's wrong with me, something must be wrong with the universe. What's that? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's "Remember Me" is the title of it, but okay. that's the one I'm thinking of. Where yeah, well, I can. Like, yeah, yeah, I combine I combine those two for sure in my brain. Um, right. But I'm going. I'm going to stick with cause and effect. Um, yeah. As a yeah. great introduction. Plus, if they happen to be a sort of classic comedy fan, Frasier turns up at the end, of course, and effects. <laughs> I forget that. Oh, my gosh. That's that will never not amuse me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So random. Yeah. Well, I'll just skip to the, the final question then, because I don't want to take us too long. And uh, the last one is, because, as I said, this is kind of a holdover from the time travel series, do you have any particular time travel stories, maybe one or a couple, that stand out as the best for you? Oh, goodness. Um, oh, um, well, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad is mm -hmm. a phenomenal episode. I don't, it, that's time travel. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, time it's, a loop, it's a loop, but I would accept it. I mean, we've, re <laughs> we've reviewed a lot of the episodes you've mentioned, by the way, because we have reviews up, and again, do go and check out the channel. We have reviews for Emissary, for Broken Bowl, for Magic to Make the Sadist Man Go <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, yeah, it sounds like you're reviewing all my favorites. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I really like, um, I, what is the name of the episode? It's in season, I think it's season one of Voyager, where it's the candy corn Janeway, where she and Tom Paris. Um, I know, yeah, time and again. <laughs> time and again. All of these episode titles, just especially the time travel ones, just combine for me. No, that's, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> well over, what, like eight or 900 episodes. It's just my autistic brain has right? them all locked oh. in a little library. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I actually, I actually really, really like that episode. Um yeah, that's an unusual one, but it's not a bad episode, actually. It never yeah, really comes up. I like that one. Um, see, I don't normally like time travel episodes. I think that they are... You, Even mentioned, I... <laughs> uh, you mentioned Future's End, which is a kind of a, a bone of contention because my co-host doesn't like that episode, and I love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what else. So I I, I typically like, and I mean, if, if you're going to count magic to make the sanest man go mad, then... Um, I, well, then I can count my other, I really like the loop episodes. So I so like that one. Um, I, yeah, I like cause and effect. I like, um, well, this parallels isn't, it's a loop episode, right? Well, Worf is kind it's, of moving between. I would normally have said it was kind of a weird parallel universe episode, but then it's referenced in terra firma by the guardian of forever, like reading the newspaper about it. So yeah. I think Trek generally considers it time travel, so that's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay, perfect. So uh, that's one of my favorites. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, so thanks for uh, agreeing to do that and uh, being so open with all your Trek sort of opinions and everything. That's great. And uh, if you are a new listener, which you may be, um, the next section that we're going to go to is a section that I like to call, if I can find it, here we go, the hit or miss section. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. 
the way that it works is basically it's it's what gives the podcast its name and i essentially just shout out random things from anywhere in the star trek <laughs> universe uh, which my guest is not informed about in advance um but i have a leg up this particular episode because i have uh, i have been aware of what you've been rewatching so, so i know <laughs> what you what's fresh in your mind jordan yes. so um yeah, I, yes, I see. I'll pop something up on the screen and I'll shout it out and then we'll get your opinion, whether you think it's a hit or a miss a little bit as to why. Uh, and I'll chime in with my opinion and uh, we'll kind of take it from there, if that's OK with you. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. So the first thing on the hit or miss section for today, then, uh, is the character of Talon from Picard Season 2, a.k.a. The Watcher. Would you say she's a hit or a miss? Oh, I was going to preface this section with, um, there are gonna probably going to be very few misses for me. I typically, <laughs> that's fine. I, I like Star Trek. I mean, I, I like liking things, if that makes sense. Um, and if, yeah, I don't, that's fine. if I don't like something, I'm just like, oh, it's not for me, whatever. Um, but I'm going to say that Talon's a miss for me. Oh, um, okay. I know. I, I love Orla Brady. Like I <laughs> love Orla Brady. I love Laris, but the Talon character, and I, I like Talon as a character, mm. though I have questions of like, I just have a lot of questions about her. <laughs> so, okay. But I would, it just felt, I felt like Talon, it felt like a way to, mm, ooh, I don't want to be, see, I don't want to be mean. I don't like being. That's okay. That's fine. We we don't judge here. Absolutely, and we okay. know you're absolutely a lover of all things. So yes. Okay. Okay. I know, but I feel mean when I say something. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. So I'm gonna say Talon felt like a cheap way to get a Laris like character in mm. the past without bringing Laris to the past. Yeah. And like, I'm not a huge fan of the Laris, how they use Laris in season two, to be essentially like character development fodder for Picard. Um, yeah. She just, yeah. So That's you, That's you, you, you definitely picked, you, you picked one of the few misses for me, but she's a miss for me. That's fair enough. The weird thing is, you see, I, I would say she's a hit, but I have all of the same issues that you've just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't like that. They kind of, like, I don't see why the character had to be played by Ola Brady, other than the fact that, as you said, it's cheap character development of like, oh, we need to keep Talon in Picard's mind, uh, sorry, uh, Laris in Picard's mind, so we'll have her played by the same actress, and yeah, I didn't appreciate that, but I did, I, I loved, despite not liking the episode, the callback to Assignment Earth, and the fact that she's one of the same sort of people as Gary Seven, and checking mm -hmm. the timeline, I kind of loved all of that sort of stuff, I just wish, like, I don't see why it couldn't have been a new character and a new actor, you know? Right. Yeah, would you say the same thing? You kind of you maybe appreciated some of the the aspects of the character, but not like the the actress that they chose to play. Yeah, yeah. though I would, I would say, say I love Orla Brady, <laughs> so I love the actress, but I didn't love what they did with the actress. Mm. Is maybe where yeah. I land. Yeah, so maybe if she had she didn't already play Laris, it would have been a a preferable position there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, that's fair enough. No, I think uh, we'd probably say then you say it's a slight miss and I'll say it's a slight hit. Yes. Because, <laughs> yes. yeah, Laris, not Laris. See, I can't, I'm going to, I'm probably going to do I, that. I, I do the same thing. <laughs> Talon, I love Talon's um, care for Renee Picard. 
I think that that's absolutely beautiful and beautifully done, beautifully written, beautifully acted. So I, it is still a slight miss, um, but there's so much about the character that I do love. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, so yeah, that's one. Well, we, we kind of come down in the middle on that. I think it works out as kind of an average because it's a soft miss and a soft kiss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me find the second thing on the list. Apologies to all of the people who have come forward as non-ship fans, but I always like to put a ship or two in these on this sections. Uh, and this one, I'll, I'll say the reason why when I get into discussing my thoughts on it, but it is basically the Enterprise NX-01 refit. Oh! You... <laughs> it's a hit or a miss for you. <laughs> That's so funny because I am typically not a ship person. I mean... Um... Intrepid class forever. Love Voyager. Um, and I do love the Discovery, but those are probably because I love the shows. But there's something about the NX-01 that I adore. It is so, I just love the aesthetic. Um, but the refit, um, oh, I'm going to say it's a hit. Just because okay. I, I just because I love the NX-01 and it's not that, well, I feel like ship people might correct me, but it's not that different than the NX-01, right? No, I mean, they've just basically added a drive section to make it more, and right. I think themselves to bring it more in line with the sort of original Enterprise from TOS. Right, and I, so I prefer the NX-01 yeah. by itself, but I, and I, I do love, um, I do, and I shouldn't say little, because this it's not a little change, but I love, um, when you get to see things get closer to yes other treks if that if that makes sense no i do um, get you <laughs> yeah so even for example like the um the enterprise in discovery season two or, um mm. the enterprises the enterprise crews uniforms are closer yeah. to what we know in the original series than the discoveries you know season one and two uniforms and so even like little details like that where it's like oh we're moving closer to what we already know um, I, I'm going to say that the refit is a slight hit for me for that reason, though I prefer the original NX-01. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think, um, I think yeah, I, I would say the, the original NX-01, I think we, again, myself and DK both love that design, and I would say it is better. But like you, I'm also a sucker for what some people would call fan service and stuff, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same as like as soon as I saw the design and was like, it's closer to the end of <laughs> I appreciate it. But I'm again, my brain doesn't like things not being canon. So I was kind of always of a mind of um I like it, but I can't appreciate that it exists because for me it's just kind of a fan thing. Yeah. Even though it was like Doug Drexler or whatever that made it. But the reason I brought it up is uh, because I didn't realize until relatively recently that it is made canon by Picard season two. Um mm. I'm going to share an image, which hopefully you it's probably going to be a bit small, but hopefully you can see on screen here. Um, the young Picard is seen playing with a model here, the Eagle Moss model, no less, of the Enterprise NX-01 refit. Wow, so, I'd never noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so easy to miss because it's the smallest detail, but I was like, all right, it's canon. That's fine now then. <laughs> I've got to accept <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I uh, I appreciate it. I, I think, yeah, the, the NX-01 refit is a hit, and I kind of like now that we know it exists uh, in some form or another somewhere. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and as I said, just for all the reasons that you said, I like that it looks closer to what we know. <laughs> but again, like you, I much prefer the original NX-01 just because, I don't know, there's something about that design. And I didn't think I was going to like it when it was first mm -hmm. announced. I was like, they've just used an Akira class. This is, <laughs> And then when you see it in action, it's like, this is really cool. And then 
something about the way it takes damage in season three as well is just really visceral and like this is so yeah. cool. It actually feels like you know a, a spaceship being attacked rather than like a luxury hotel or something. Right, exactly. And I I was gonna say that I love the exterior, but I also love the interior. Yeah. Because it feels a lot more like this is the first, you know, warp five exploration that we have and like you're that's not going to be a luxury hotel right exactly. um yeah it feels more like submarine-esque exactly it's a lot closer to like the nasa stuff that we have now so we can believe it it's not a huge leap to like we've gone from space shuttles to like you said like all oh, these things that space travel is easy and <laughs> yeah because yeah, i mean i as much as i love the enterprise d um yeah. it does i'm like great there's families on the ship as there should be but like there's like this kindergarten classroom and like this other you know all of these things that are like there should be on a ship for these extended voyages but like that's not realistic at first yeah. um oh, and no. so yeah um I just, and a, yeah I, I love the enterprise d bridge so much but it is the most 1980s thing ever because it <laughs> it's a hotel lobby with a therapist in a key seat <laughs> <Come on. laughs> but yeah fair enough <laughs> that was hard. But we both said the NXO one reveal was a hit, so that's good. Mm -hmm. um, the third thing I have for today is an episode, which I'm assuming you've either about to come to or you may have watched during your rewatch. Um, it is the Voyager episode, The Q and the Grey. Would you say that's a hit or a miss? Mike, we watched that last night. Um, so this is perfect timing. <laughs> I swear <laughs> no, I did not know that. No. I just knew that you were watching Voyager season that's three. And so that was funny. Okay, I have really mixed emotions about this episode. I don't like, I don't really like Q that much. I mean, I love John Delancey, love John Delancey, but Q is just not my favorite character. Um, I struggle with the like, I'm omnipotent, but then like, also kind of incompetent. <laughs> so that just like, that's a struggle for me. Um, I would rather have omnipotent characters like in the TNG episode, the survivors. Mm. Um, but you can't, I mean, you, they can't be recurring characters because then like, yeah, for a lot of reasons. <laughs> okay. So I don't really love Q, love John Delancey. I think John Delancey's, um, performance in this episode is hysterical. He does such a good job. I love Susie Plaxon. I love her. Um, Kalar is one of my favorite characters in all of Trek. And, um, Anytime that Susie Plaxon comes back, I am just like head over heels. And she just knocks it out of the park in the Q and the Gray. Mm -hmm. um, huh, is it a hit or a miss for me, though? I think it's a, it's a slight hit. Oh. <laughs> um, which I, maybe if I hadn't watched it last night, it would have been a miss for me. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, but I really, I enjoyed it last night. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. Um, but it's entertaining. And yeah, I feel like all of the the cast and the guest stars do a great job. Um, it's problematic at times. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole like, I don't know the whole like oh what do you like about Chakotay his tattoo well mine's bigger and then he has you know oh, his full oh, tattoo um, on his and yeah and just like Q's like 
I mean, I, I don't love the, um, like, I just want you to be the mother of my child thing for the first female Star Trek captain to lead a show. Like, I, I don't, I don't like that predicament. Uh, predicament's not the right word, but I don't like that they put her in that situation, especially when Kate Mulgrew worked so hard to not be this, I don't know, this like, to not be like a tropey female lead, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then to put her in that situation. And I thought that, I mean, I thought that they did some unique stuff with it. And she was very much like, I am not interested. Stay away hmm. from me. Um, but yeah, it just felt like, I don't know. I, that that yeah. I, problematic is maybe not the right word for that particular thing, but I just didn't. It made me uncomfortable, and I didn't. I can definitely understand that. For me, I think I, I didn't mind it because for me, I was put in mind of it was very kind of screwball comedy ish. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But... He he always at least seemed to want consent, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, and uh... it still made me uncomfortable because he was not taking no for an answer. Um, yeah. I yeah. think the thing that saves that is that it's it's a nice way to get Susie Plaxon involved, which thankfully happens relatively quickly yes. um, as, as the female cue. And and I really hope this isn't offensive to anyone. I, my favorite line in the whole thing is, what are you doing with that dog? I'm not talking about the puppy from <laughs> <laughs> the female cue. Yeah, she her delivery of that line <laughs> is perfection. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And I did kind of appreciate the, for me, you see, the episode is also a slight hit, I should have said, but I appreciated the idea of, uh, following on from the events of Death Wish, which I suppose yes. you kind of have to have seen, I yep. like the idea that there's kind of a Q civil war, and obviously, you know, that's portrayed for our limited understanding as the American civil war and whatever. Um, you know, I can take or leave that metaphor, but right. I like the idea that it develops the Q continuum in that way. I, I do still think, like you, that it's a bit of a leap to, well, have a kid. That'll solve it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. <"Ow?" laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Um, as I said, I forgive it a lot because Susie Plaxon is great and her performance is brilliant in that episode. I think she's she's always great when she turns up. Um, right, and it's not meant to be a serious episode. And no. so, yeah, I can definitely, I'm not, like I said, I'm not big into most comedy. Um, I'd rather yeah. watch more serious episodes, but um, it's not meant to be a serious episode. And I think they mostly succeed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I'll get into it a little bit when we talk about the Picard episode, but I think... The characterization of Q is ridiculously inconsistent between series and it bugs the life out of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I will I will say, having rewatched Picard season two, and, mm. and maybe you're going to bring this up, and then watching this episode where we actually see Q in some way get injured mm. um, and talk about wanting to be an individual, wanting to, you know, change the continuum or have the continuum be different than it already is mm. kind of jives with Q is not well in Picard season two. Right. And so yeah. there's, yeah, I, I felt like there was a consistency there that I didn't, I'd never thought of before. Um, cause I, cause I never would have, you know, put this episode with Picard season two. <laughs> no, that's the thing that, that's the thing that bugs me. And I'm sure again, I don't want to step too far into the review, but it bugs me that it feels like, until the very last episode, Picard season two just forgets that Q had yes. character development. It yes. wants Q to be encounter at Farpoint Q, yep. even though there's been so many episodes yeah. since. Yeah, that's a that's a very fair criticism, I think. Yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> a full later anyway. So um, let me see. 
the next thing on my list, which again, you uh, probably have seen relatively recently, it's a bit of an unusual one. It's also Voyager, and it's a character this time, is the character of Dr. Lewis Zimmerman. Would you say he's a hit or a miss? Oh, I feel you're giving me such good ones. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I was thinking about this, uh, report, recording this podcast with you, I was like, Am I just going to say everything's a hit because I tend to like most things? But I don't know. Lewis Zimmerman. Um, um, well, okay. Robert Ricardo is phenomenal. Mm. Absolutely phenomenal. And I love seeing the differences in the doctor and Lewis Zimmerman. Yeah, which I think shows what a good actor he is. because Oh, absolutely. I'm so, yeah, I'm so impressed every time. Um, Okay, I'm going to say Lewis Zimmerman is a slight hit for me because he's not meant to be likable and he's not. And he's used, I feel like he is used in unique ways that work and he's not used too often, um, which I appreciate. Okay. I think if he was if he was on screen much more than he is, he might be a miss for me. Um, yeah, it's surprising how many episodes he's in, because to the best of my recollection, he's in three across both Voyager and DS9. Um, but one of them is technically a hologram, which is the reason I brought it up, because I know you will have watched The Swarm recently in season three of Voyager. Yes, so. yep, yep. Yeah. Um, but also there is Voyager's lifeline later in season seven, and probably my favorite appearance that he makes, which is the DS9 episode, Dr. Bashir, I presume. Um so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I would say he's a slight, I mean, he's a, yeah, he's a hit. Um I don't <laughs> want him to be in any more episode than he's in, but I, I, yeah, I, like I said, you're not meant to like him and they're successful at that, I think. Um, I think if I may be so bold, I think part of your issue may be that I think he's kind of a comedy character in a way. <laughs> you don't really like the comedy. Maybe um, maybe I should have warned you. I don't like laughing. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do. I do. I see. I love. I do love laughing. I do love. I don't. Here's the thing. I think my issue with comedy, and I'll just, this is all I'll say about it, is I don't like when someone is trying to make me laugh. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I feel like that's my issue with comedy episodes where I'm like, oh, they want me to laugh and now I don't want to laugh. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes, yeah. It does, sometimes it does go wrong because as I say, I love, my favorite of his appearances is that DS9 episode, but also at the same time, there's some incredibly on-the-nose sexism in that that I don't yes. love yep. um, with the whole sort of him and Lita relationship. But yep. everything where he's basically the crotchety, sort of guy who's trying to get Bashir to model for this new hologram kind of thing is is great for me because it works mm -hmm. as that kind of um and it plays off uh Alexander Siddig so well because he's so as an actor and as a character he's so kind of optimistic and shiny and happy and then you've got this grumpy guy that's like shut up and just let me get on with this mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and uh, yeah, even to the point where it's like, oh, um, you know, I'd consider it a personal favor if you keep my parents out of it. Cut straight to the next scene, and it's oh, <laughs> yourself, contact subject's parents immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think slight hit as well. But as I say, I, I could have accepted more of the character because I liked when they kind of played it for that little bit of humor. And um, I like that the doctor kind of has a, a parental figure. Life, yeah, that no, that um, makes a lot of sense, and I do, I do really like that as well. Yeah. Awesome. We've both said hit to that then, so that's fair enough. Um, so in the interest of brevity, I'm going to do one more for today, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Um, 
I'll, I've got a few things in on my list here, but I'll skip to one from Discovery because we haven't done that yet, and I'm really interested in your opinion. Okay. But hit or miss for Species 10C. Oh, huge hit. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, huge hit yeah. for me. I love, love Species 10C. Um, they are so, so alien, um, but so... Um, they're not so alien as to like, obviously, um, the crew can't interact with them or can't communicate with them. And there's a lot of concessions that the species, species 10 C makes in order to be able to communicate with the delegates and the crew yeah, discovery. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I love their aesthetic. I love them visually. And I love the, I mean, it's very like, like the movie Arrival, um, mm. trying to figure out how they communicate and how they do communicate. I love the um, the episode Rosetta in Discovery season four, where they go to their the species ten C's previous planet, and that's one of my favorite episodes of the whole season of the whole series actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just oh, they're a huge hit for me. For so many reasons that <laughs> I like, I feel like I can't even like communicate them clearly right now. Uh, that's fair enough. No, that's understandable. You, I know you like Discovery, which is part of the reason I put it in. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Partly because, and I feel really mean now. Partly because for me, I just don't think they worked really well. So I would have to go slight miss. I appreciate parts of it. Like I appreciate the kind of sci-fi Star Trek way of doing things. Of like, well, they don't have a spoken language, and so we have to get clever about it and find ways to communicate. But I think visually, I don't like the fact that for me, they aren't, they, they're just way too ethereal and like you just can't get a grasp on what they actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 not as tangible for me. And again, I think my head just can't get around it. And my brain wants to be like, either just make them non-corporeal or have them be this cool giant thing that we can actually see, but don't do this weird half and half situation. Yeah. <laughs> I get yeah. that. Um, I think it does. For me, it feels really consistent throughout season four where they, you know, they go to the previous planet, they're going down into these gas giants that are in the hyperfield. Mm. Like for me, that's the kind of organism that would live in a gas giant, you know, yeah. um, that's yeah. the kind of organism that would live on that, that giant planet with all the, you know, hydrocarbons floating around, <laughs> which is yeah. at first is like super weird, but I still love it. Um, so I think for me, I totally get what you're saying. Um, but I think that for me, they're just weird enough um, yeah. to make it, to make it believable, um, yeah. th- to make the struggles with first contact believable, but also the success with first contact be believable. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe if I rewatch, because I haven't rewatched season four, I'll appreciate them more because there's a lot of parts around it that I like, but I think it's also kind of a shame because I think part of me feels like the series did itself no favors by early on referencing all of the things it could have been and mentioning like it might be a member of the Q continuum or one of the Metreons or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, right, cool. So it's, it's pl- priming you for what to expect. And then what you get is so vastly different that I was like, I'd rather you just didn't have that line there because you're priming us to expect something that we're not going to get at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah, um, but I do appreciate that they were extra galactic. I liked that sort of touch of mm-hmm. things as well. Um, I think my biggest issue as well is that I just don't like the dark matter anomaly, the DMA as an idea, because it just seems sort of weird and kind of um, it, it's an awful lot of plot convenience and kind of 
you know, the, these species have never used this before and just happen to have done so now. And yet, you know, they, yeah, one of yeah. my one of my criticisms with that is it, it was hard for me to believe that these, you know, these beings that could do something at that scale and that were so advanced didn't realize the harm it was causing. I think yeah. that that was that was one area where I was like, I don't that doesn't seem super plausible. But how often do we do things that are harmful to others that we don't realize? Um, yeah, and I suppose so, yeah. yeah, it ended up more of like they perhaps see themselves as a as a superior. Yeah, yeah. Or we are kind of like insects to them, and we might well unthinkingly go around, you know doing uh, digging up something and not realizing we're killing ants or something like that maybe but yeah uh, absolutely yeah um I, so i kind of appreciated that aspect of things it was just as you said it kind of felt like they wanted them to be exactly as intelligent and as comprehensible as the story wanted them to be and a lot of it was like this is a big leap in logic that they <laughs> are you know they're just able to enough to communicate that we can talk them out of it but not enough that they couldn't understand they were doing harm in the first place you know right um, but yeah, and as, as I say, I feel like I probably will appreciate them more when I rewatch the season because I think a, another thing that Voyager season three and four I think hurts the show is playing these things for big mysteries because then you're always going to be a little bit disappointed. Like I know mm -hmm. a lot of people weren't happy about the reveal of what caused the burn, which I love because I love where they went with that and like yeah. I, I appreciate the metaphor of like of course as a you know if you're a little boy that's lost your mom you would destroy the you know the fabric of space time with your <laughs> right. get the metaphor there but with species 10 say i'm just kind of like so what are we saying i'm not quite sure what you're getting at other than as you said like we want to make star trek a rival <laughs> <laughs> right and i do that's funny that you brought up season three as well because i had the first time i watched season three similar disappointment as the people that you had mentioned of just mm. it didn't feel like a big enough a big enough thing yeah um to cause the burn. But then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh no, this is absolutely, this is genius. Like this is, with the whole theme of season three being connection and disconnection. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's, and it, yeah, it was plausible. It was devastating. Um, yeah, it was, it was so much more enjoyable on, um, not, not enjoyable. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, but yeah. um, I satisfying, maybe it's the right word. The end of season yeah. three was so much more satisfying the second time and third time that I watched yeah. it. I kind of hope they've learned their lesson with that when it comes to sort of future seasons, because I think, like I said, the fact that we wait so many weeks with this mystery of what's it going to be, what's it going to be, you're, you're never going to live up to that. And I wish they'd kind of just come out and said sooner, I guess, or just not played it as a mystery so much as like, you know, we need to solve this, but it could be anything. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't know how and you I'm, would do it. <laughs> I'm, and I'm thankful that in season four, it was about halfway through the season where I felt like it shifted from what's the DMA to, oh, this is a first contact situation. And yeah. so I'm glad that it wasn't a what's the DMA for, you know, 12 episodes and then it's solved yeah. and then the finale um, because that would have been too yeah. much. I did appreciate the introduction of Ruan Taka as well because it gave it an extra layer of something to overcome and conflict to that, which would have been, because right. it would have been boring if it was just like, these things are killing us and we need to make them understand. Now mm -hmm. now let's work out how to talk to them. And it's like, oh, okay, where's your conflict? But I don't, <laughs> right. As much as I hate the character, I think that is the point that we're supposed to dislike Tarka. Yes, exactly, um, yeah. So I can kind of, I can divorce myself from like, I hate the character, but love the way the writing works for the character. So I, I guess I like the character in that <laughs> sense. You know? Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I appreciated all that as well. and. Uh, 
I didn't love the fact that they used it to kind of cause a rift between Burnham and Buck, which just felt a lot like, oh, we've had them together. Now we have to do that thing of tearing them apart because we can't have just happy couples in drama. You know, I really hope that they can just be happy in season five. Like yeah. I want there, you know, I want there to be um, conflict and tension in the season itself. Um, yeah. but I don't, I just want them to be happy. I mean, it's the same with Stamets and Colbert. I'm like, can we just yes. let them be happy? Yeah. And then we got them to be, I mean, we saw them, you know, have arguments, but they were at least, they at least yeah. got a break in season four. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, started a family effectively, which is yeah. a lovely way of doing that without having to get it, you know, deal with all the complications of where are they going to find children from and <laughs> yeah. how are they going to go about this? And it was just, it kind of happened naturally and organically and, yeah, that I it, see it works better for me that because that relationship is like they they are allowed to evolve rather than be the boring writing thing of well they're just a happy couple where's the drama yeah and evolving them into a family I think was a perfect next step for those characters um evolving them into a queer family as well just made so much more sense as a, yeah without wanting to sound like it's like well of course you did that because it's stereotypical and I kind of hope nobody sees it like that but. For me, it just kind of, it's a, a great reflection of who all four of those characters yes. are. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, awesome. Uh, again, not relevant, but there we go. So, <laughs> I mean, so, I, I, like I said, I could talk about Discovery all day, every day. So that's just fine. I, I'm a huge defender of it. I think Discovery is ridiculously overhated. It's by no means my favorite of the series, but I could happily talk about it. And I love watching it and look forward to it coming. So mm -hmm. when I find uh, somebody that loves it like you, I'm like, yes, thank you. Instead of people that are just decrying it as the worst thing ever or... Yeah. Uh, anybody uh, that ever uses the word woke, the, the one oh, trigger man. word that I'm just like, if you use it even once, I don't care. The context is blocked. I don't even care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right. <laughs> so um, we're going to move on to the, I'm so sorry. I've kept you for way too long. Already, no, gonna... that's okay. This has been great. Awesome. Oh, I'm glad you're uh, having fun anyway. <laughs> you see, we get talking geeky things and uh, the time just flies by. It does. So we're going to get into the main episode review now, which is, as I mentioned, the Picard episode Assimilation. Uh, we will begin our analysis of that episode. Analysis, um, I, I was aware sort of in the past when I've been doing these reviews, I haven't really given a synopsis of what the episode's about. And uh, yeah, granted, we've all probably seen them because otherwise spoilers, but sometimes you might need a quick memory refresh. So I just wanted to start this particular week with a, a, a quick synopsis of the episode, uh, not least because we both had a bit of a moment when we were like, are we watching the right one? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the synopsis goes as follows. Picard and the crew travel back to 2024 Los Angeles in search of the Watcher, who can help them identify the point at which time diverged. Seven, Rafi and Rios venture out into an unfamiliar world 400 years in their past while Picard and Jurati attempt to gather information from an unlikely and dangerous ally. So, <laughs> um, any kind of quick thoughts on the episode without getting too spoilery before we jump into the, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of it, Jordan? Yeah, I love this episode. Awesome. It's my favorite of Picard season two, I think. <laughs> um, we'll see as I rewatch the rest of Picard season two leading up to Thursday. I'm sure that this will be shared... <sighs> after Picard season three premiere. Yeah, I should have actually mentioned that up top that as at time of recording, <laughs> we are days away from the start of season three. And days. We are only we are days away, folks. We're so close. Um, so yeah. I don't I don't know if I'll be able to finish Picard season two. Just it's a busy work week for me, but I'm hope I so we'll see if this remains my favorite Picard season two episode upon rewatch. Um mm. but I love season I loved episode one, did not love episode two, but love love episode three. 
Um, it does feel like kind of two, like there's two parts to it. Mm. The first half being very dark and the second half being less dark. <laughs> there's still mm. dark elements to it, but um, that was something that I noticed when I rewatched it. Um, I, I I don't know if I would agree with that without wanting to sound too con, uh, confrontational. No, no, we don't have to have the same opinion, so I'm excited no, no, I, to hear what you think about it. <laughs> I think the some of the darker stuff in the episode is towards the end when you have Jurati and the Borg Queen kind of clashing inside of her mind. Yes. And... No, yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah. I think for me, so, and I don't want to spoil too much of my own review, <laughs> yeah, that's but I was really, really drawn to Rafi in this episode, and I feel like she has a huge shift mm. in tone for her character and so um i don't think she does i think she stays for want of a better way I, I, it feels reductive to say it just angry throughout the episode because there's more to it but i think she stays angry and the character that actually gets the opposite is seven of nine which is why it's interesting to not just pair them but have them literally be a couple because they're both in such completely different places and it really pisses raffi off as well yeah that's yeah i could see that as well i think yeah, I'm excited to talk more in depth about it as we go through the episode. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Awesome. Uh, well, we normally start the episode with just little bits of kind of behind the scenes information, anything that comes up, but that's normally DK's job. So in, <laughs> uh, in full disclosure, I've been able to find one thing, uh, sorry, well, two things of note that I'll bring up just quickly because it won't take long. Um, the first of which is that if you don't know, this episode was directed by, very appropriately, Leah Thompson, mm -hmm. who is a, um, a genre veteran with experience when it comes to all things time travel. Uh, as an actress, she played uh, Marty McFly's mom, Lorraine Baines McFly, in the Back to the Future trilogy. Um, but she has had a sort of second life as an actress. She's directed episodes of... I think Stargirl, possibly Superman and Lois, and various other sort of geeky shows. Um, and she does turn up later in season two as an actress as well, briefly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of nice. But uh, yeah, so um, from a directing standpoint, it's interesting to see what she kind of brings to this. And uh, I, I did notice a lot of kind of, not things that stand out because a director of sort of episodic television, that's not what you're going for, but things that I appreciated from a directing standpoint because I know and like the director, which doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. awesome. uh, and the second just random bit of information is um, the Confederation Magistrate, who we see in this episode, who was introduced in the previous episode, uh, is played by the actor John John Briones, who in real life is the father of Issa Briones, who plays uh, Darge, Soji, and Corey in the series. So... <laughs> Uh, and so the way that we do re the reviews here is I just break it down into sections so that it doesn't become like a boring recap thing. Uh, <laughs> sections being like acting, uh, first of all, then writing, plot, uh, things like that. Then the direction, then sort of visual effects and uh, things like along of that nature, then sound and music. Uh, and then at the end, as I've mentioned to you in uh, an email, thankfully, uh, we talk about our favorite character moment and line and then give a conclusion and a score out of five. So... <laughs> Uh, if you're happy uh, to jump in just uh, with our notes back and forth, we can talk about any point of the episode. That's the, the kind of good part about this. We don't have to sort of think, well, we'll get there at the end. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I wanted to talk about is the acting. So did you have anything you wanted to uh, sort of start us off with with regards to the acting in the episode? Oh, um, I feel like most of them knocked it out of the park. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Annie Wershing, of course, was a huge standout for me. As the board queen, she is so um 
chilling and compelling. Like you don't want to look away, even though you know she's the board queen and you probably should look away for your own safety. Um, I think that's perfect for the board queen. It's so perfect. From inception, she's supposed to be terrifying but seductive. And I think Annie Wershing captures that so perfectly where you're just kind of like, I'm crapping myself. But at the same time, I'm like, hmm, there is something tempting. About <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she she pulls that off beautifully. Yeah. Um, yeah, very masterfully. Um, I, yeah, mentioned earlier, I'm very, I found Raffi very compelling in this episode. And I think Michelle Heard, she acts her butt off. Like she mm. just like, the, oh, I was going to say that, I mean, the scene, the whole, the, every scene with Elnor, um, she just, it just is heartbreaking. She just is completely into it. And I remember watching, I think it was the Ready Room interview with her about that scene. And she just talked about how utterly exhausting it was, you know, like she was just completely spent and you can see it on screen. She just completely went for it. Um, and I am just, just completely blown away. Um, Allison, yeah, Allison Pill too. Those are the three I wrote down. Annie Wershing, um, Michelle Hurd, Allison Pill. Allison Pill just does a great job in this whole um, this whole season. I think. Oh yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, I was just really, yeah, really drawn to her as well. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll deal with that. I'll, I'll sort of springboard off that and say the same thing. Then, uh, with regards to the people you've mentioned, first of all, obviously R.I.P. Annie Wershing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she's incredible in this episode. The way that she pulls off creepy but compelling as you said is just so good to the point that I was watching it now with this sort of sad sort of uh, retrospective like oh it's just such a great loss and I've mentioned before I've watched her in other things and thought she's a great genre actress but watching this performance I really am just kind of like it's so good and when you think this is the third actress to play this role and she's totally making it her own but not inconsistent in any way she's yeah it's just incredible to watch it's so good I can't say enough good mm -hmm. things um, so let's see, uh, as you said already, the, the Raffi and Elnor scenes, I think Michelle heard this is probably her best episode. I feel like season one did her a disservice by the writing, making her like, you know, bitter. So I've got to be drug addled and I've got to be yeah. this kind of all these kind of stereotypes that I don't think Star Trek really does all that well or shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, when they actually give her something human to play off and have it be just about that emotional connection and that sense of loss. She is so good, and um, the it, it's a little moment, but despite, obviously, the powerful stuff is all the grief and the kind of anger and the bitterness at Seven, but the key moment for me is the when she literally calls out Picard yes. and, and says what I'm feeling right now, to be perfectly honest, is just disappointment in leadership. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, she didn't say anything too controversial. She didn't swear or anything, and yet she just stabbed his heart with a knife with yes, that. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, awesome. I just love, yeah, I think she's great. And as you said, Alison Pill, when she's kind of going through the emotions as the Borg Queen's, you know, rifling through her mind, that is kind of a put it on your acting reel performance I put down because <laughs> it, she's playing everything and she's just switching like that. It's just like, oh, she's found anger. Tell me all about what you think. Yeah, you're pretending not to feel it. Oh, no. Oh, she's found sadness. Oh, I want to give up. And it's just kind of like, this is, they would do this in acting schools to see how good of an actor you are because it's not easy to switch like that on a dime and make it fully believable. Mm -hmm. um, and even at the start of that scene where she's like shockingly vulnerable and it's like Picard, there's lots of strong feelings. Like I, I want to disobey you just for spite, but I think that's because I want you to be my dad. And it's kind of like, 
I felt that. That was weirdly. Yeah. There's yes. some truth and honesty in that that you don't really expect. It catches, it catches mm -hmm. you off guard. And I love the end of that scene where she's essentially outsmarted the board queen to a certain mm -hmm. extent. Yeah. And just the the sassy confidence as she walks away from the board queen is so, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that she basically it is it is effect effectively metaphorically a oh checkmate moment. Right, exactly. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. But yeah, for me, I think that one of the strongest performances in the episode that you didn't mention, I think, is Jerry Ryan. Mm. Uh, because it's when you think about it, it is still so weird to me that she doesn't have the Borg implants on yes. in this alternate timeline. And yet you don't notice that because she's such a good actress that it's still that character, even though visually and physically it's not. Does that make sense? It's kind of like she doesn't have any of the trappings of what you would associate with that character, but it's it, still... Yeah, her. and this is where we get the first glimpses. Well, in the previous episode, we got some glimpses of it as well, but this is where we get more glimpses of her being more comfortable without the implants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she does that so subtly and mm -hmm. so well. Yeah. Um, I have a few things to mention about Jerry's performance. Sorry about that, because I just, I like a lot no. of it that I know it. So I love that the episode, and I don't know if it's a writing or if it was a direction choice, but I love that it takes just a couple of seconds of her looking in the mirror and then touching where the implant should be. Because mm -hmm. it's the sort of scene where you can imagine it would be the easiest thing in the world to cut if you were trying to make time. Right. And yeah, I think it's such a good, despite being wordless, it's such a good scene and says so much uh, for that character, as you said, because she's kind of like, Ah, oh, I've never really been just human. So mm -hmm. um, awesome. Uh, I'd also have a, I probably should have put this in the little behind the scenes stuff, but I have a quote that I found from Jerry Ryan, uh, which says that um, she later reflected on filming the scene at the Mark Ridge Tower and said, that was one of the more challenging scenes, honestly, because I was trying to find the line. It's supposed to be a playful scene, but it's a leap for seven. So, you know, I tried to walk that fine line without making it just so camp that it's ridiculous. It was a relief when I actually watched the finished product because I think it was good. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I do not know what she was worried about. That scene is possibly one of my top two scenes in the episode. Yeah. Pulls it off brilliantly. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that was so difficult, though, having, you know, Seven, having played Seven for so long, played Seven in a very particular way, and now she doesn't have implants. Um, she was, you know, in theory, never assimilated. Um, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, that had to be a really... I can understand. I mean, I'm not an actress, <laughs> but I can, I can understand why that would be difficult. But I agree. She pulled it off perfectly. Yeah, it's it's surprising, though, because you, you are right. I think I can see where he's coming from in that Seven as a character has always been very prickly because that's the nature of like I was a Borg. I've never had social interaction. I was assimilated as a child. And in this scene, she has to be charming mm -hmm. and kind of um, almost woo the guy, not in a romantic way, but kind of. Just like, ah, oh, bond with you on a human level. And yet, yeah, she has said, to win him over. Yeah. It's subtle enough that it somehow works really like better than you, it, it deserves to almost. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the setup for that is there earlier in the episode, which again is another scene that they could easily have cut, but I'm glad they didn't, which is where the little girl sees her sort of beam in and just goes, wow, are you a superhero? And then Seven just leans down and goes, can you keep a secret? And winks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes perfect and and i love the fact that it's one of the rare moments where they remember that voyager existed because seven bonds better with children yeah, you know, yeah. from experience so it just made perfect logical sense that she would that would be where she would find her comfort in in readjusting to that would be oh i've done this before i know how to relate to children you know mm -hmm. um 
again, that's probably me reading a reading a bit too much into it. But I, I mean, it. we're Trekkies. That's what we do, right? So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And uh, yeah, the last note I have on the acting is that um, just straight from the off, I've already mentioned how much I kind of love screwball comedies and I guess rom-coms as well to a degree. And the chemistry and the acting between Rios and uh, Teresa from the second they meet is just so incredible. Yes. I'm like, this is this is so good. And uh, I think her name is Sol Rodriguez, the actress mm-hmm. who plays mm-hmm. Teresa. She's from minute one. She's immediately like, I love this character. I don't know yeah. anything about her, but I that love was her. <laughs> that was in my notes as well. I as soon as she's on screen, I'm just she's she's sassy. She's um, funny. Um, she's snarky. You know, she doesn't take doesn't take any crap from Rios. Not that he gives that to her, but you know, he's trying to, he has a concussion and is trying to walk out of her clinic and- Yeah, I should um, certainly reassert her strength, but I wouldn't say she's being necessarily even sassy or, or um, you know, angry or, or bitter or anything like that. It's always just, it's very much just kind of, I guess in a, again, in a weird way, I hope this isn't offensive, but I guess in a way it's like being a mother. Like, look, mm-hmm. I'm used to people just trying to do as they please and me having to tell them right. what to do. So sit down, shut yeah. up. <laughs> maybe, yeah. yeah. I think maybe playful. Playful is more the word I was going for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's, sure. yeah. she's playful in it. She's not, She's not. you know, this super strict. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're supposed to do what she says, but she doesn't do it in a harsh, she doesn't say it in a harsh way. She's much yeah. more playful with him. So Plus she's, um, she's automatically in the right. And I think that helps as well. Cause again, she's the very Trek character and we've mentioned this in other reviews. Like she's the Edith Keeler of the Picard season two story. Yes. And she is morally always in the right. And she's the one you want to kind of, she's the hope for humanity in what's otherwise very dark and like, mm-hmm. Ooh, these characters are all doing terrible things. And she's like, no, no, we, we have to fight this oppression. We've got to try and help people wherever we can. And mm-hmm. we've got to hope that brighter days are coming. Um, so any other notes that you have on like the acting and uh, things like that in general? Um, I mean, I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention Evan Evagora, Elnor. Mm. Um, and I thought his his death scene was really good. Um, especially, I think I've heard an interview with him where he didn't know until he got the script for Assimilation that he was going to die. Um and didn't know when or if he was ever going to come back. Um, and so I thought, yeah, I thought he did a really great job. And um, that scene gets me every time. I cry every time I watch it uh, with him and Michelle Hurd. I just can't bring myself to because I feel like I don't appreciate the writing there. In that it was so pointless having Elmer in the season and he really is, he does exists purely to die to give the other characters motivation. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad for the character and the actor because it's like, oh, why'd you do that? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. But that because the first time I watched, you know, when it first premiered and I watched Picard season two, I that scene just destroyed me. It, I was just because I love Elnor and I love Raffi. I love their relationship that we get hints of in episodes one and two. And yeah, I was just um, it was devastating. Um, and I think it's supposed to be. And I <laughs> but then I don't think that they did anything with it, like you were saying, like it. It yeah. could have been so much more. Um, it also didn't hit me because it's, and again, it's it's no fault of this episode. I don't know how else you would do it, but it didn't hit me because I'm aware that it's all of this kind of weird time travel shenanigans and stuff. And I was like, well, he's clearly not really dead. He'll fix the timeline and he'll be back. <laughs> so, right. So I appreciate that they did include that brief scene where Rafi specifically asks that. And Jurati just basically says, you know, I, I don't know. We, we literally have no way of telling. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, well, I'm going to have to believe that he'll be back. Mm-hmm. but it's kind of like at the same time that really I guess that that softens the blow of death a lot because 
you know, when people die, most of the time in life, we don't get that kind of <laughs> right. oh, I can fix it. That'll be fine. You know, so, so for me, it was kind of like, oh, I didn't really appreciate it. But anyway, I appreciate that other people did. So that's fine. Um, yeah. Sorry, I just stood right over you there. Anything else that you wanted to say? No, that was, I mean, I feel like we've listed most of the cast in their yeah. stellar performances. So Definitely. Um, I would, yeah. I would quick, quickly say something about how great John Delancey is, but considering the episode has him in it for about three seconds anyway, that's, this is literally <laughs> all the mention that we'll make of him. So there you right. go. <laughs> Utterly pointless, by the way. Complete waste of time. Anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, the next thing I, uh, that I want to talk about then is just the writing and the plot. And um, I touched on it earlier that um, before we started recording that, yeah, there's a super long kind of six minute previously on Picard because <laughs> so much has happened already. Um, so if you're not up to speed, you're going to be. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first note in terms of when we get into this episode is, again, this is really super geeky and I apologize if you're not as big of a nerd, but I love that the way they time travel is using the slingshot technique because it feels like they forgot about that a lot more mm -hmm. after the original series and the movies and it was always like the Borg opened a quantum vortex or a temporal anomaly or whatever and I was like no use that because you've, it's part of your and again like we said with the NXO one refit it's like hey it's something we remember and recognize <laughs> so I was like yay they're doing the thing that I recognize and uh, again I appreciate that they specifically reference you know that the reason it's not done all the time is that it's super impossible to do mm -hmm. but they were able to do it because they had Spock which achieves two things, which is point out that it's not just we can nip down the shops whenever we want to time travel and big up the character of Spock because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, did, it did feel like that sentence kind of inflated Spock's intelligence too much to me, but you have to reconcile that with the voyage home, right? I was just going to say there's literally a line in the voyage home where he says, what is it, McCoy says, Kirk trusts your guesses most than most people's facts. And I was right. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I love that they compare that to the Borg Queen. Like they had Spock, the nearest we can get is of the Borg Queen. So that's mm -hmm. how we're able to work this out. So yeah, awesome. Um, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, but I did appreciate that the title is kind of a, a neat double entendre because I'm a bit of a nerd for wordplay. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I get it. It's both assimilation in the Borg sense, and we're trying to assimilate to being 400 years in the past. I know. I really, I really, really liked that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. This is another slight criticism from earlier in the episode, but and it's something that the newer Treks do a lot. I don't like that the good guys are just straight up horribly vaporizing people without a care. Like yeah. I think they're the bad guys, I get it, but like, oh. I know and that really that really bothers me in um, a couple episodes of Discovery, and then in this episode as well. I keep making notes of just funny lines that I like in the episode, and I did love. It's again, I'm a sucker for screwball comedy type banter, and I just <laughs> like when, when Picard says like, "Oh, you're going to be able to land," and Rios's response is. Oh, kind of more like a targeted crush <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um, um but again yeah i do i do really like that whole i feel, feel like all of them kind of shine in that scene where they're getting ready to crash because mm, um, yeah. even gerardi being like you can't crash this ship in one of the most populated places of the you know of this time Definitely. Um, like what are you what are you guys thinking <laughs> yeah I was going to get to that, though, because that's another, and it's, I know it's a nitpick, but it's another thing that bugs me in the episode is that, like, yes, logically, they're like, you can't just crash into L.A. What's the alternative? And Picard goes, I know, we can go home. And I'm like, oh, yeah, France, right next door to L.A. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the heck, man? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I get, I don't know how the, the mechanics of it work, but I guess if you, if you make that decision soon enough, your targeted crash yeah. can be in France instead of LA. Like, I get it. That's where they need to be. For the story. You feel <laughs> right. a lot like that's the closest you can get. You're already talking about how the transport is low on power. Like, <laughs> right. you're a full continent away at this point. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's a nitpick. As I said, the story had to have it happen. So we right. have to give it. Yeah. Um, I've talked about this already, but again, I, I, I hate that they just seem to ignore Q's Voyager appearances. Mm. Most of all, that is what bugs me. More so the fact that it ignores every one of his sort of post-encounter at Farpoint you know, next-gen growth appearances and the character being more, I guess, of a playful imp than kind of all-threatening, mm -hmm. omnipotent being, because yeah, it bugs me. But it bugs me more whenever Q's in a scene with Seven of Nine and they don't acknowledge that they know each other. <laughs> yeah, because how many how many Voyager episodes is Q in? He's in three, but he's only in one with Seven of Nine. That's right. He's, okay, I was going to say, I've seen two in my rewatch. Um, yeah. And because we're yeah still in season three, but he yeah. is in one episode with seven of nine. Yeah, but he is like she is like pivotal to the plot around him because it's all about his son and his son sort of befriending each and being. That's right. Yeah. So it's not like seven wouldn't know who he is and be like, "What's happening here?" <laughs> and by the same token, as much as I love, as I've mentioned already, Rafi's like going off on Picard. Um, I think it's her that says something about like, oh, we're only in this situation because of Q and he keeps recklessly playing games with you and endangering. And I'm like, not for a while in fairness. <laughs> right. How many of these files have you read? Because it feels like you've read the first one and we're like, oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> this is, again, a small note, but I love that um, they kind of say to look out for butterflies in terms of the, uh, you know, the effect that it could have on the timeline and stuff mm -hmm. in that cool way. But... It, I love that the uh, clinic that Rios ends up with is the Mariposas clinic, yes. which is Spanish for butterfly. Yeah. So it literally is like, and there's tons of like crates and stuff that appear with the butterfly symbol mm -hmm. on it. I'm like, I get it. We actually have to visually look out for butterflies. <laughs> right. I feel like that was a Dave Blast thing because I know he was the production designer and we've interviewed him. So I can call him a friend now and say, Dave, I see what you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What did you think about the overall kind of pace of the episode, though? Because it seemed a little bit slow to me, and I wasn't sure if it was hmm. just... Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, I think it feels like the episode happens in two parts. Mm. And, and part of that is, I mean, they're on the ship, and then they're in L.A., you know? Um, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, but that was kind of jarring to me, even in rewatching it. Yeah. Um, and I, and not that it's bad. I don't think it's bad. It just kind of was jarring to me. Just like um, there's a, you know, a visual shift, a tonal shift, uh, even musically a shift. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't, I think that it didn't feel slow to me because of that. But it, like we talked about earlier, it makes me question which, what happened in which episode? Like yeah. I want to, I want to um, kind of assign the events of the first half of this episode to the previous episode. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I didn't really notice that until you started talking about it. But now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it is kind of weirdly cut out in a way that, like, you've got 10 episodes and you would think logically it would be, let's do all the time travel stuff at the end of one as a big cliffhanger and then start episode three or four if you have to. Mm -hmm. We're in LA now. This is all going to be it going forward. But, yeah, it's weird that it happens halfway through the episode. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's the uh, – that didn't – 
that was biz not bizarre. That's too strong of a word even, but I noted that. Um, but I didn't, I think that that helped with any pacing issues that I maybe had. Yeah. And I do think that's intentional. I think you're supposed to feel sort of the culture shock of that, of like, mm -hmm. Ooh, wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, I appreciate that the kind of, I appreciate them doing it. It just, again, it seemed like a weird in the middle of a 47 minute episode to start this whole thing going over again. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think as, as kind of being used to Trek as it was, part of our brains is just like, you're halfway through the episode. You're not going to have time to do anything. In the, <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, because you have another seven episodes to do it, but our brains mm -hmm. can't quite get to handle on that, you know? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, I have to talk a little bit about um, the Picard and Jurati scenes with the Borg Queen. I think that's quite central to the episode. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I just... This is such a, a geeky bugbear, but I hate the fact that it really muddies what the Borg can do. And it's not the only thing that's guilty of it, but I'm just kind of like, I, I don't understand it and you don't explain it well enough. So there's a way to plug their minds together, but not assimilate Jurati physically, even though previously we've always just seen it's an instant, like inject nanoprobes in your neck and you're gone kind of thing. So we have to ignore that. And I'm like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> Maybe it was me. Yeah, well, I think there is, because I, I I did not like the, I mean, hmm. I liked the Jurati and Borg Queen scenes, hmm. but I didn't like the premise the first time I watched it be yeah. because of exactly what you were saying. Um, but I do, when I think back to First Contact, there are quite a few moments where we see people who have started to be assimilated, but not yet. Mm -hmm. um, like there's a, there's a delay, right? Um, and Picard, at least at that point, <laughs> believes they're fully gone. They can't be brought back. Um, yeah. Like you see the crewman who's like, you know, captain, please help me. And he's being assimilated yeah. <laughs> as, as he speaks. And Picard just, you know, shoots him. Yeah. Um, yeah, or, you know, even seeing crew members be walked, you know, as they're being assimilated, like walked elsewhere in the ship in first contact. Yeah, that's horrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. And so I wonder if like that, there's some continuity there where like, Gerard, but yeah, like why, why could you just unplug her and then the assimilation <laughs> stopped? That doesn't, that doesn't quite jive with what we, what we've seen historically. Yeah. And part of it is because they've never defined what exactly the collective consciousness is. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know, like, because like I said, physically you can see if somebody's being assimilated and you can get it as like, oh no, ah, horrible. But just doing the mental side of things is really weird and confusing and kind of like, like, I always assumed the nanoprobes are injected and immediately form, I don't know, some kind of transceiver or something that attaches <laughs> your brain via some wireless method to the collective. Right. Because it certainly doesn't feel like the people that are partly assimilated in the likes of First Contact and stuff are like, I've still got my own mind, but I guess I'm resigned to this fate now because look at me. You know, just yeah, yeah. instantly you're gone. You know? Um so it was kind of odd. Again, they probably could have explained it with a line or two. And most people would probably say, oh, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's just a geeky issue. But to me, it's just, it's again, it's the Borg are just horribly inconsistent whenever they appear. Right. Um, but the thing that I will say with regards to this is that I appreciate what they used that to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't not want them to get there. I wanted them to explain it better. But I do actually love the idea of the Queen and Jurati combining minds and having effectively a sort of mental chess match and the queen rifling through her mind and hitting her emotions and even the fantastic bit at the end where it's like you've actually impressed me this is difficult and dangerous to do and i'm like okay this is and that's, 
terrifying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I just didn't. I say I would have preferred more explanation. I, I can kind of hand wave it away. It's like, all right, there's a way, and we'll just have to do the usual head cannon thing of figuring out how <laughs> right. to do ourselves. You know, there must be a way. So fair enough. Um, but yeah. So did you have any other thoughts on that generally? The the uh, Borg Queen and Jurassic. I don't think so. Not that we haven't already talked about. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, let's see. What else did I say? Oh, again, just funny lines. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the transporters are subcomputational. I believe the technical term is for shit. <laughs> <laughs> again, I don't always love when Picard throws in the swearing because it often feels like it's there for the sake of it. But mm -hmm. when it's done for actual good humor or for emphasis, it can work. Uh, and on a similar note than that, um, it's a little moment, but again, I think it's great for both characters when Rios goes, oh, do I still look like a fascist bastard? And Seven goes, fascist? No. Bastard? Yeah. And he just <laughs> shit. I, Yeah, I do love Rio, Rios and Seven together are such a good pairing. Um, really every, every time they're together. Yeah, definitely. It's very convenient, but I also get it and can forgive it that they get money because somebody tries to rob Rafi and she just robs him back. Yeah. Like, All right. Fair enough. You know? Yeah, I will say, um, I was I was bothered by that, and I was bothered by the ice raid. Mm. Uh, well, okay, the first time I watched this episode, I was like, yes, they, like, when ICE came and raided the clinic and took Rios and Teresa, I was like, all right, they're going there, and I, there's a yeah. lot of potential, and I was really excited for the potential, and I felt like they didn't deliver it the rest of the season. Um, yeah, because it's very, it's just a... a like half of the next episode and then it's kind of over and done with, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they, you know, rescue Rios. And um, then he's like, I love, I love this century. I think I might want to stay here. Like yeah. it just come. Yeah. He's not, um, it feels like that didn't affect him at all, which yeah. I didn't like. And so I was really, when I saw assimilation, I was like, all right, I'm excited for them to have some sort of commentary on, um, you know, the current issues here in the US. Yeah. And they do try. Rafi does get that great line where she's just like, you know, I can't believe the divergence point hasn't happened. It's amazing that any mm -hmm. with this level of contradictions could survive. Right. I, I yeah, I just wish it having them having introduced the ice and the ice raid. Um I wish they they landed it a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And I think the, uh, kind of related to that is that I liked that they had little visual nods to the DS9 episodes past tense, but mm -hmm. I did explore a little bit more that this is already supposed to be pretty bloody dystopian. Right. <laughs> so as you said, it's I... kind of, it does not jibe with that when Rios is like, I like it here, I'm going to stick around because it's not meant to be nice. You know? Right. I also think that I, the reason I didn't like the, you know, Raffi, <laughs> the Raffi taking this guy's money, mm. I didn't like that scene in that, it, I feel like scene plays up this idea of unhoused or homeless people being mm. dangerous and yeah. being, and being criminals, um, which, I mean, when DS9 was in 2024, yeah. um, they didn't, I mean, they had some of that, but there was a much broader, um, you saw every sort, every sort of people. Yeah. Um, in I, in the sanctuary cities and I, I just didn't like that I think that that is yeah it's a You're really right. huge it's, assumption and it's a really wrong assumption definitely um, yeah this episode really wants you to be like 
we're robbing him, but don't worry, it's a bad guy. Whereas most Star Trek would be like, this guy is so desperate, what what led him to this? As opposed to just, don't worry, he's just a jerk and we can rob him because he's robbing other people and whatever. Yeah, so that was a, a bit of a miss for me. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I fully get that. And again, it just seemed like partly we didn't need it and partly it was just plot convenience to be mm-hmm. like, well, we've got to get money from somewhere. So I guess that will be how they do it, you know? Right. Uh, Instead, like, I mean, when we saw what Raffi and Seven could do with police cars later in the series or later in the season, they I'm, could have ju- they could have just hacked an ATM. So I was going to move quickly on to the direction then, because I've made a few notes, as I said, because because I know and like the director, so mm-hmm. I just be looking out for stuff. Um, the first thing that I noticed is I don't like the bloody lens flare at the start of the episode. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it seems to be whenever they're in La Serena, it's just lens flare city. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Stop it. This isn't a J.J. Abrams movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, the scene with, this is a directing note of sorts, but the scene with the ball queen kind of crawling towards them is so menacing, partly because oh. of the acting, as I've mentioned, but the way that the music has almost like first contact vibes and the music is that threatening, like, mm-hmm. the shark's approaching undertone. Uh, and the way it's filmed is very, it's its almost horror movie-esque of like, oh, it's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I believe that scene was in the trailer. And that was, oh, that was terrifying. I remember watching the trailer and seeing that. And I was like, how did they get themselves in this predicament? That's terrifying. <laughs> Record scratch. How did I end up here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, that is, it's so, um, that's, yeah, so well shot. Awesome. A little thing that I did notice as well is as soon as the Borg Queen takes control of La Serena, the episode as a whole takes on a green hue, not mm-hmm. just because obviously the consoles and stuff turn green, but it seems like the directors put like a green filter. And I was like, ah, oh, I get a cool visual shorthand for like the Borg are in control. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> um, and on a similar note to that, when Jurati and Picard are arguing about this debate of can she be partly assimilated and, and whatever, uh, Leah Thompson chooses to use a Dutch angle for that scene, which is really unusual for a scene of conflict because it would normally either be like a one shot on the two of them either side of the screen or just like going back and forth mm-hmm. between the two of them, um, framing them in camera that way. And I liked that it it uses a Dutch angle because it is you're meant to feel uneasy um, about what she's proposing and the fact that they're arguing about it. So I was mm-hmm. like, I, I love that you did that. I, I appreciated that. Um, the sort of shared voice thing when it happens as well is so effective and so oh. beautifully creepy, isn't it? So disconcerting. It's so disconcerting. Yeah. And uh, I, I do love the kind of like the Picard of like, whose hand is this? I don't love that they then decided to, uh, I think one of the audience interaction people said they then decided they were going to audition to play the birds in Finding Nemo. Whose hand is this? Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> <laughs> <right>, come on. <laughs> um. The scenes, the last note I have is just the scenes between Rios and Teresa in the hospital. I really appreciated that the dusk lighting just looks gorgeous and it's lit quite romantically, mm-hmm. um, which I think, again, gives you a visual shorthand of like, this is a meet cute, this is what's happening here, which aids their chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, again, I'm not sure if you would call this directing or writing, but I love the fact that she tell, she asks Rios about like his history and he's in this deep, like, a powerful story about being in the academy and acing all the tests and things and even the episode is like focusing in on him and like pay attention to the story then out of nowhere it's just like crack and she's fixed his <laughs> and goes, yeah, yeah cool story yeah <laughs> that was so that was very effective and funny yeah i love that kind of humor because it's just undercutting or it's uh, playing with your expectations it's mm-hmm. really cool um so yeah any other notes about the direction that you have 
I mean, yeah, I agreed with everything you said. Um, the only other thing, and not to, you know, tie everything to discovery like I like to do, but I felt like at the beginning of the episode, um, the way that they time travel, or not the be beginning, but when they time traveled, mm -hmm. um, was very reminiscent of how they shot the end of Discovery season two, where they go through the wormhole. Uh, um, I was more disappointed that they didn't do the thing they do in Voyager Home. <laughs> Yeah, I I felt like it was a I felt like it was a kind of combination of a little bit of Voyage Home, but there was a lot of, a lot that was reminiscent of Discovery going through the wormhole, which yeah. I I personally really liked, and it seemed really consistent. Yeah. Um, so I liked that. Awesome, that makes sense. Cool. Um, so yeah, speaking as we kind of are then about VFX, I literally only have two notes about that. Uh, the first one again, I, I keep apologizing for my geekiness, but I love that we see a Nova class and a Steam Runner class ship at the start. <laughs> I was just like everyone else I was so disappointed with the kind of cut and paste Picard fleet so I was so grateful when we actually got proper Starfleet ships in season two mm -hmm. and even though they're in the alternate timeline and they have the kind of evil red deflectors and stuff I was like yay it's a Nova class and a Steam Runner class I love that um and I still hate holographic controls that they seem to have on every Star Trek show nowadays that's it's a trope that I'm just not fond of mm -hmm. it's something that's I, it doesn't feel tactile and it doesn't feel like you're absorbing yourself in that world enough when it's just um, Santiago Cabrera like punching air with his fingers, and I'm supposed to feel something about this. It's just like, <laughs> all right, I get it. You know, ooh, we're so advanced. We've got just give him a console. <laughs> anyway, the very last thing I have then is just notes on sound and music. We've touched on a couple of things already, um, but I'm curious on your thoughts because you mentioned it with regard to Enterprise, but not this show. They mm. ruined the card season two theme this season, didn't they? <laughs> is it just me? Um, I definitely prefer the season one theme. Season one theme is so beautiful and haunting it's in the season so two. beautiful. I, you know, <laughs> I, it's grown on me. Okay. Um, I think it reflects the tone of the season well. The changes that they made to the mm. theme um, reflect the tone of the season really well. But that's about all I can say good about it <laughs> i wish they'd actually just made a new theme rather than trying to keep this whimsical melancholy sort of season one mm. theme introducing like threat to it in terms of the episode uh, episode's music itself um i do think the music did a lot of heavy lifting for me in elnor's death scenes which mm. isn't that i don't think the actors were doing a great job but there's one scene in particular where there's no dialogue just after he's he's died and it's um mm -hmm. It's just music playing over Michelle Hurd, like not being able to close the morgue door and stuff. And now it's like, yeah, this is the music's doing a fantastic job here. Um, I will say, uh, Jeff Russo is one of my favorite Trek composers. So yeah. I do love, I do love all of the Picard season one and two soundtracks, and all of the Discovery soundtracks. I love the Discovery um, soundtrack. I didn't know Jeff Russo did the Picard ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was one music cue that I I did write down. Um, I love when they first get to LA and the California, the, that version of California Dreamin' that they're playing yep. is so good and so perfect. And I love the original song mm. so much. Um, and, and I love, I love this remix version. It's so good. And I think it's the perfect choice for that scene. I agree. I made the exact same note. And like you, I like the original song a lot. I've never heard this kind of cover version, this remix mm -hmm. version before, but I love it. And I should probably have done this, but I didn't look up who it was that actually, uh, did it but i'll probably do that after the episode yeah i i forget who it was i looked it up when it first aired but i i forget who it is now but i should look that up again and listen to it yeah that's i great. wish it was on the picard season two soundtrack but i don't believe it is 
Yeah, I would imagine there may be rights issues since it's yeah. a kind of, I assume, commercially released sort of single. Yeah, unfortunately. So, as I said, the, the next thing we're going to touch on then is our favourite character moment and line. Uh, and I'll come to you first as you're our guest. So who was your favourite character in this episode? Yeah, I've mentioned this a few times, but Raffi is my favourite character in this episode. Uh, Raffi's one of my favourite characters in all of Picard anyway. Um, yeah. But I thought she really, really shines um, in this episode. Even, you know, she's going through horrible trauma. Um, but yeah, this was a really strong Raffi episode. And I was, um, I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off her for any scene that she was in so that's cool fair enough um but my favorite character is weirdly linked in that way then because my favorite character is seven of nine in this <laughs> yeah um i didn't think there was really a standout character not in a negative way i just think everybody sort of held their own and did did as much as they were expected to and as i said mm -hmm. it's an incomplete like it's part of a story so nobody it's yes. not like you can say this is a picard episode this is a seven episode or whatever else but for me, I think the episode's strength was Seven of Nine's growth as mm -hmm. finding her adjustment period to this being human and, and, you know, this new reality and being in the past and suddenly being charming with people and everything. So mm -hmm. that was why I think I related more to her in this episode. But pretty much everybody's good. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, cool. Uh, so what was your favourite moment or scene in the episode? Um, I think it was when they first transport to LA hmm. visually it's beautiful I love that song um I love that they don't end up in the same place and that Rios doesn't end up I mean he ends up on the ground eventually but um, he doesn't beam beam with his feet on the ground um because yeah that's something I always wonder of like okay the, trans the transporter's like not super accurate how did they all not beam into like a wall or yeah that could know, have been a, really bad. yeah and so i'm sure there's some sort of safeties even when you know the transporter is underpowered um yeah. but, but i kind of i kind of really... liked i kind of liked that they that they went there um yeah it doesn't know that like what's it can make sure to beam you into like you know open air but it doesn't know what other things are around you so i appreciated the fact that it beams in like a few feet above a fire escape as well <laughs> right. it falls from 10 feet and lands on the ground it's like he falls whacks his head off a fire escape oh, poor guy <laughs> yeah. poor guy <laughs> i'm stunned it looks amazing <laughs> yeah and then yeah with you'd already mentioned seven of nine um talking to the girl um so yeah mm. i just really i really like that scene um I do wish it had been, you know, maybe the opening scene of the episode. Like we mm -hmm. talked about, like the first half of this episode, if it had been tacked onto the the second episode of the season, that yeah. would have been such a sweet opening <laughs> shot. Um, but yeah, I, I just love that scene so much. Yeah. So yeah, that was part of the thing, I think, with the pacing for me. It seemed like the first half of the episode had slowed down a lot because it didn't want us to get to LA, I guess, too quickly. What was I going to say? I, I'm going to change my mind. I had a couple. Uh, one of them was just the whole kind of pre-credit scene and the time jump because I'm a, you know, huge geek for those kind of things <laughs> and it was a yeah. bit of an action scene, but I didn't appreciate the kind of violent death of the bad guys. But I'm going to change my mind and say it's what I had previously said was my second one. It was the scene in Mark Ridge Tower with um, Seven kind of charming the guard mm. and uh, you can't let him be more fun than you. <laughs> Anything. so yeah i think i'll, I'll make that my uh, kevin, kevin is not funner than you are oh my gosh. <laughs> exactly <laughs> again it's such a small thing and i probably shouldn't shout it out for people that uh, don't like these things 
But um, just the fact that she says, oh, me and my girlfriend, without blinking, without, it's not, no big deals made out of it. Nobody mm-hmm. says anything. And it's just kind of, it's nice and refreshing to see that, <laughs> I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, Raffi has a moment where she's like, oh, you're calling me that. Cool. Because, yeah, yeah they are. so much like, oh, you know, we're, it's the same sex relationship. What's going on? It's more like, oh, that's how you're defining what we are. <laughs> Uh, commitment issues apparently (laughs) yeah exactly yeah completely yeah Um, and what was your favorite line in the episode (laughs) yeah so it's from um I feel like you might pick the same as me (laughs) oh I don't know so we'll see um I because my favorite scene was almost when Elnor died just because that moved me so much the first time I watched it Mm. um and so I'm really I was torn between a couple different Raffi quotes from that Um, but my favorite, I I landed on my favorite being where Rafi, um, when they're getting ready to go to LA says, what I want is to figure out how to fix the timeline and not talk about how it felt to watch him die. Oh yeah. That's wow. That's yeah. That's a good point actually. Yeah. That's a good line. (laughs) That's such a, like, that's such a perfect encapsulation of how I've experienced grief. Um, Mm. when I've lost someone, um, whether that's from death or something else um just yeah like i i go into to do mode i'm a doer um and i'm like yeah i want to try to fix x y or obviously not you know if someone has passed i can't bring them back but like i want to try to fix these areas of my life and not deal with what it felt like for to lose that person so i felt like that that line just really struck a chord with me um that's fair enough I feel like I I'm learning this about myself just as now but I feel like I related more to the fact that I would probably just deflect it to anger so I, as I mentioned I think I preferred the whole what I'm honestly feeling is disappointment in leadership because yeah thought, I mean Rafi experiences <laughs> all the stages of grief at the same time in that exactly, scene, so. yeah well ex- other than acceptance let's be fair oh, right true true <laughs> But yeah, so no, I appreciate both of those lines though. Very good. And I appreciate the way that it connects with you on a personal level, for sure. Mm -hmm, It really does. Awesome. Um, Yeah, so that was what I picked. I went completely, again, the opposite direction from that. My favorite line in the episode is, computer, dictate the file logged shit I stole from the book. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, I don't want to always appreciate the swearing, but when it's done effectively, it's really good. And the fact that it undercuts the kind of smug, I've got you moment of July. The ball queen is just kind of like, oh, punch the air with joy moment of, um, you know, yeah, yeah you got it. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like those two lines that we picked perfectly, perfectly encapsulate our enjoyment of, of entertainment media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're like, I want to have my heart like ripped out of my chest and cry and like, you love comedy. I and I, I know that that's like a super, yeah, super one, one-sided view of it, but yeah. it's really, that's really funny to me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Awesome. Uh, that's cool. Well, before we get to our conclusions and things, then I promise we will get there quickly. I know I've kept you way too long. Um, I just want to quickly go into the audience response, because I always like to ask our audience what they thought of the episode that we're reviewing. Uh, so I did put out, um, we're no longer on Twitter, as I've mentioned in a few other places, but I put out on our other social medias, Discord, Mastodon, etc. You can find all our links below. Um, I did put out the question, you know, what did you think of the episode assimilation? Uh, and so I will read them out now in the section that I call subspace communications. <laughs> Incoming transmission. There we go. So the first of these is from Mastodon and it's from someone called Mycotropic at Mycotropic at 
Geekdom, I believe, uh, who says, I'm waiting for the DVD of season two to make it to less than $15. But season one was absolutely outstanding. I loved and re-watching the whole series, and I've been waiting for season two since the end of season one. Okay. Uh, Captain Joe Dove at Mastodon.world says, that was one of the better Picard episodes. We talked about it last year. It was fun. I felt like they spent a lot of time in the past. Um, at Trek fan Rick uh, on Mastodon, who you will, of course will know as Rick Everson, frequent guest here, uh, has quite a lo decently long thread who just says, I'm a bigger fan of Picard season two than a lot of others seem to be. I really enjoyed this episode. It won me over early by showing Nova class ships in Pursuit of Our Heroes. <laughs> oh, I love you. It did upset and frustrate me when Eldo Elnor was killed. I love Elnor and feel he's too often sidelined. I also love Raffi and hate seeing her so sad. Uh, the mm -hmm. slingshot time travel is obviously a massive nostalgia kick. For me, a big highlight was Jurati and the Borg Queen. She is so creepy and combined with Picard's warnings, it becomes a very tense and nerve-wracking scene. But I cheered for Agnes when she revealed she'd retrieved the information they needed. Definitely a roller coaster episode for fun, nostalgia, grief, fear, and triumph. There's a lot packed into this, which sets so many threads into play for the rest of the season. It really does. <laughs> That's awesome. He's shared a lot of our opinions, and uh, yeah, I think uh, can't really argue with any of that. Um, so yeah, I also uh, put on our Discord, which is uh, just friends of this podcast, and we had uh, Adrienne Park Tucker, who we also have had on in the past, uh, responded and said, okay, I've watched the episode. I forgot how much happens in this episode. Favorite part, California Dreaming Montage. <laughs> Cool. Positives. Number one, I love Rios in the clinic, especially how he tells the story of his adventure in the simulator. I love Saul Rodriguez as Teresa. Number two, I like the relationship between Seven and Rafi in this episode. Number three, I like Picard trying to keep Agnes unborgified. And number four, Rafi being unable to close the morgue draw. Sad face emoji. <laughs> oh. uh, and then she said, not so positive. Number one, Jurati versus the Queen during their audition for the Finding Nemo seagull scene. <laughs> Um, number two, Elno's death scene, I think, could have been set up differently. Number three, no Rios holograms. It's a bit of a <laughs> weird one, but okay. Uh, and number four, this is the episode that I realized that the white lights on the interior bulkheads of La Serena really bug me. <laughs> okay. Uh, and she just says, in the end, it's a hit for me with just a few awkward scenes. So mm. fair enough. And uh, Sandra Evanson, who you may have heard on our sister podcast, Silver Screen Podcast, also known as Tachyon underscore 15, says, I do remember feeling very angry at Elnor's death, and also around here is where I finally started to like Agnes. Not sure if it was this episode or not, I just know it took me a, long, a longer time to forgive her than the show gave us. Mm. Uh, yeah, and then Adrienne responded, this might be the episode where Agnes shows some gumption as she is in the Borg Queen go head to head for a minute. Yeah, I really didn't want Elna to die. It was cool to have a nice Romulan around for a change. Uh, yeah, and that's, I think, all of the audience feedback for the episode. So um, all that remains then is to kind of finish things off with our conclusion and our score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Uh, so as the guest, did you want to go first? Do you have anything? Oh. <laughs> um, so it's one out of five, right? Uh, it's score out of five, yeah. That's <laughs> fine. Analysis. I feel like this is this is the part of the podcast I feel the most pressure about. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say a three and a half. Can I do a half delta? Yeah, you can do whatever you. I, I mean, it depends on the guest, but I know Sandra when she's on our movie podcast is always like three point one two out of it. Like, okay. Well, I'll, it uh, it. <laughs> okay. Then in that case, I'll do three point five. Um, I was gonna I was gonna say three point seven five, but no, we're sticking with three point five. Three point five. Okay. That's yeah. Fair 
And did you have anything you wanted to say, like any reasons for that or what? Because I always write like a full couple of paragraphs of things. Yeah, no, I I think it had so much potential. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this isn't fair to say, but um, like fair to the episode. I feel like um, I don't remember if it was Rick or someone else in their feedback was saying, you know, it set up a lot of the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this season was trying, it tried to do too much. Yeah. Um, and so there was so much potential and they didn't really stick the landing on a lot of it. Mm. Um, so that's what drops it down from a four to me. Okay. Um, and yeah, and it does feel kind of like a setup episode. So there's not a lot of, um, a lot of like meat and potatoes for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. To, I feel to, like to the episode. Really- a lot of what I have to say about it, actually, because I think you're going to have a, a similar issue, which is, you know, I'll get to it in my conclusion, but it's kind of impossible to judge this as an episode as opposed to mm-hmm. one tenth of a story. Yeah, and so, yeah, I'm going to go with three and a half because three feels too, because I did really like it, three feels too small, mm. uh, or like too few, and four, it's definitely not a four for me. So That's three and a half. That's cool. Well, I always write my conclusion now because I try to use it to kind of get my thoughts and stuff mm-hmm. together and to have it kind of written out so as I'm not just rambling too much. But um, yeah, I just said that it was a weird episode to judge on its own merits. We've only reviewed one Picard episode before this, and it really shows that a current Trek season is one long serialized story. So naturally, this feels incomplete on its own. Um, and if you listen to us regularly, you know that myself, DK, and a few of our regular guests are also huge Doctor Who fans as well as Star Trek. And this felt a lot like trying to review episode two of a six-part Doctor Who story <laughs> series. Like, I mean, it's impossible. It's it's part of a story. So it was hard to get my head around that. Um, judging what we do get specifically in this episode, I think there are some great performances. There's a handful of great acting showcase scenes. Pretty much mostly gorgeous direction, decent action, and a tinge of good horror. Uh, The story threads remain elusive, but they're still intriguing at this stage, though they are hurt by my overall memory of my distaste at where the story goes. Um, There are also still some Picard-specific things that bug me that I've kind of mentioned, the little things like the holograms and then things like the characters that struggle to find place and meaning. Um, There's nothing egregiously bad, though, in this 47 minutes, though conversely, there isn't that much on a macro level that stands out about it either. Uh, It gets points from me for the aforementioned acting moments, direction, and being very competently put together. It's not one of the worst episodes of Star Trek, but it's also nowhere near the best. Uh, And I did give it three out of five because I just felt like... Yeah. Yeah, it it was... The whole wasn't as good as the sum of its parts, if that makes sense. There's a lot of great scenes, but they don't gel together into something that works for me fully as a like, oh, I could just show this to anyone and they'd appreciate it. Um, so yeah, so yeah, 3.5, 3.5 out of five. So working out the average then to give us our final score for the podcast, that's not going to be too difficult. Our final <laughs> for the episode of Simulation would be 3.25 out of five. Yeah, which seems, I would say, seems pretty accurate. Yeah, I, I would agree actually, yeah. Because I didn't, I, like you, I was kind of like, I don't want to say two and a half because it's better than just average. Mm-hmm. So I want to give it the more positive side of things, but it's also, it's too incomplete and it doesn't hang together well enough to say <laughs> it more than that. So yeah, yeah 2.25 I think is very fair. And it meets us in the middle of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, that's great. So, well, uh, all that remains now then is for me to say thank you so much, Jordan, for being a fantastic guest and for um, agreeing to do the podcast and being a, there for me for my first one back in a long time and getting back into the swing of things because it's always nice when you have somebody pleasant and easy to talk to. For <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, thanks for inviting me on and having me and all of your great questions. Awesome, thank you. And again, apologies that uh, DK couldn't be here with us, but it just gives me an excuse to hopefully invite you back another time and you can meet him then and we can yeah. do this again. So I would yeah. love to come back sometime, thank you. That's awesome, well, keep being a positive force on Trek social media and watching and loving all things Star Trek. Did you want to shout out where people can find you on uh, socials? Yeah, um, so I'm Jordan LaForden on most socials. Um, like I mentioned, I'm no longer on Twitter. Um, but I am Jordan LaForden at 10Ford.social on Mastodon, I'm Jordan LaForden on Instagram, and Jordan LaForden on Tumblr as well. Awesome. That's great. So, uh, yeah, I will say, like I said, definitely a great follow, thoroughly recommended by me, particularly if you just like seeing people that are positive and enjoy Star Trek, which, you know, we all do. We're all Trekkies, aren't we? So that's cool. So, yeah. Um, right. So that will conclude this kind of episode. Again, I'm sorry that we haven't really had a chance to touch base with our fans and, and be more consistent. Uh, we are going to have a full series coming later in the year, which will be Klingon themed. Oh, uh, fun. Just doing things a bit differently. Oh, yes. Yeah, so don't worry. You're, you're going to be asked to be on that. So if you have a Klingon episode in mind, you can shout one out. But if not, oh, we have goodness. a big one. So, <laughs> <laughs> There's so, so many good ones. Yeah, no, there was, it was really hard actually to narrow it down to 11. Well, 10 episodes, one movie. So, <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, but you can listen to myself and DK. We are going to be recording in about a week's time an episode of the Trexperts podcast. So if you want to hear us potentially show our nerdy knowledge or embarrassingly remember absolutely nothing, you can listen to that episode when it goes out. Just stay tuned and I'll let everyone know when that is. Um, we'll be back for more episodes of the Silver Screen podcast, our sister podcast just about movies. Uh, our first episode back for that is going to be a review of Creed. That will drop on February the 23rd. Uh, and then we're doing Scream, John Wick and Prometheus over the next sort of um, every, every fortnight, so six weeks. And stay tuned. We do have something or I have something in mind that I'm going to try to get off the ground around about early April, uh, which might be a very special kind of top 10 related episode. Uh, but we will be back with more random episodes. And as I said, stay tuned later in the year for that full Klingon series. So, yeah, thanks again, Jordan, for joining us um, and for putting up with me for this long. Uh, enjoy <laughs> the rest of your day. And, uh, yeah, everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. <laughs> That's no problem at all. And everyone, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper.